you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, And they just came out with a combined volume. It's oversized. Yes. They so came it's about out the same size as the Hip Hop Family yeah. Tree book. Yeah. I have resisted buying it only because I'm not sure where I'm going to put it. Yeah, it's kind of big. Like I love having it because it's basically it looks like a treasury edition. Yeah. And I, I love that and I want it and I, and I, I love them putting in that format. But I'm also like, yeah, I don't know where now uh, I can put it. <laughs> like I don't think I have any bookshelves that are actually tall enough to hold it because it should be, you know. And and then then where's it going to go? In the bottom of a box? Yeah. It seems. I'm having that so, trouble right now because I'm redoing. Oh, we're recording, by the way. Um, just in case you want to. I know. No, I knew that. Okay, I didn't know if you did. Um, the thin shelf that I have near the door in my den is my doc is now exclusively Doc Savage because I took all the other stuff. I'm still in the process of taking the other stuff out. And I only have one shelf that's tall enough to put the um, the new editions, the double um, magazine size that are reprinted. Oh yeah, here. the ones that Anthony Tolan does. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot yeah. the name of his company. His his. I don't remember the publisher. Yeah. I, I don't know what he. I mean, he is the publisher, but but what the company is called. Yeah, but it, I I originally sized that those shelves for to optimize for paperbacks. <laughs> and so I've got like one shelf that the hardbacks can go on and that's all, I mean, that's the only shelf those will fit on. And there's one show well, actually the hardbacks would fit on the shelf with it where the magazines are as well, but the magazines are yeah. that much bigger. So they have to, yeah, on those yeah, yeah. do you have the golden press ones? Uh, the ones that look the like juvenile. Yeah. The six one, the six. Yeah, yeah. I have those. It's, it's funny cause I was missing a couple and they were just on the take one. They're fr- take anything it's free table yeah. at, uh, at Doc Savage Doc. Con. Yeah. Doc Con. Yeah. Doc Con. Yeah. You know, I, I, I have heard, cause I never, I never compared. I think the only one that I read in that format, like I had them all. Mm-hmm. The only one I read in that format was quest of key of Qui because at that point I don't think I'd had the Bantam one, uh, but I've heard that they edited. Yeah. That's what I've heard too. And they made it more YA, but you know, or what juvenile, you're right. I mean, it was really more, uh, you know, for, for kids. I'm disappointed that didn't last. You know, it was a good idea. I thought, you know, it, they're, it's, they're, it's, they're nice, a nice little collectible. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So, Hey, this is the fanboy planet podcast. This is Darren McCaw, editor in chief of fanboyplanet.com, And we are once again, we're FM guess, radio tonight. <laughs> we're FM radio. There we are. We are across the ether. Uh, I am, well, you know, yeah, I've got that silky voice. Uh, that uh, I, we are podcasting in different cities. Uh, I am in Los Angeles, and uh, <clears throat> our podcast producer running everything, Rick Brett Snyder in the heart of Willow Glen, 
at the bread cave. Oh, the no, bread. I would say that's an undisclosed location. And now, it's still an undisclosed now, location. Where, that's true. There are many places it could be. Is it under a tree? I don't know. Uh, it, you know if somebody leans on the right tree branch, does a does a gate open up in, the, in like a baseball field? Uh, you know, a diamond. It's yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like remember the opening for the uh, time tunnel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you go down. So all right. Yeah, we've. Uh, before we really get started, uh, we, of course, have a word from this week's sponsor. Worldcon is returning to San Jose, California. Writers, readers, and fans from around the globe will converge on the Bay Area in August to mingle, read, write, play, geek out, and celebrate the Hugo Awards together at the 76th World Science Fiction Convention. Programming for Worldcon is still in the works. If you have ideas for readings, lectures, panels, musicians, anything, share them with us at worldcon76.org. Have you registered for Worldcon yet? Register today at worldcon76.org to join the more than 2,500 attending members in San Jose from August 16th to the 20th. Keep up with Worldcon 76 on Twitter at Worldcon 2018 and on Facebook at Worldcon 76. If you yourself have a project you would like to advertise on Fanboy Planet or the Fanboy Planet podcast, please write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com and let me know, and we can talk about uh, prices and getting your ad on the Fanboy Planet podcast. Of course, if there's anything we talk about on tonight's podcast that is uh, something you would like to own for your very self, and you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, then by all means, go to the Amazon links on fanboyplanet.com. Each and every podcast page in particular does have links, and sometimes direct links in addition to the search box. And we get a small a, a, a small remuneration for everything ordered through there as I would, well. I would, I would even go so far as to say if you want to run an ad, we can produce it for you. If you've got a script or you just even have a list of things you want to say. Well, that's fine, too, you know, but that's all up for negotiation yeah. as people email. It's a service we provide. Mm-hmm. A nominal fee. Yes, very, very nominal. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, of course, as well, if you want to go to thinkgeek.com, which uh, we are affiliated with, there are plenty of cool things going on there. there is, you know, There's a Mother's Day sale, and they've just uh, announced another line of... Uh, I want to say, you know, they're getting ready, of course, for Avengers Infinity War, as everyone is. And uh, so anything you purchase there through the ads on Fanboy Planet, we also get a small kickback. And if you'd just like to help support Fanboy Planet, the cost of, of running a podcast and of hosting everything, you can go to PayPal. And it's at editor at fanboyplanet.com. And as you might have gleaned from up top, any questions you have, you want to write in. Questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can follow us on Facebook at Fanboy Planet. You can tweet at us at Fanboy Planet and follow us there on Twitter. And, of course, Instagram. We just do random fan-based photos and sometimes tying into the article. There's not a good Instagram verb. There's not. If you want to... I guess you Grammy. post. You post. If you want to post, I, yeah, I don't know, but it's at Fanboy Planet, so I like to keep it simple so I can keep it straight. If you are listening to this podcast on your favorite podcatcher and not on Fanboy Planet, if you picked it up from iTunes or I guess what is now Apple Podcast uh, or uh, what was the one you loved? Pod Pickle? Podcast uh, Pickle. Podcast Pickle. I like Pod Pickle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or the Stitcher app. 
you can go directly to Fanboy Planet, and as I mentioned earlier, each and every podcast does have a page. And I should say this, is that we are starting to put a table of content. So if you really want to hear you know, the comics news... If you're we'll strapped you where, for time. Uh, you know, I listen to this on drives when yeah. I do listen to the yeah. podcast. Uh, probably more than I make it sound like I do. But I listen to it when I'm, when I'm driving, and that's and that's fine. So, you know, but if you are one who really just wants to... I only want to hear what your movie news is beyond the top story, because tonight we'll be talking, I think, a lot about movies as the top story. But, uh, you know, there it is. We, we want to make it make it helpful to you to hear what you want to hear. And then, of course, write in and tell us at editor at fanboyplanet.com. As I want to say, uh, from a podcast a couple of weeks ago, I was corrected by a listener who I'd actually called out because he wrote in, and that's why I guess he messaged again, Chris Buckley, uh, who mentioned... Uh, I talked about Avengers No Surrender and how much that I had loved that Mark Wade had included a Squadron Sinister analog to a character from Justice League. I think it might have even been Justice League Task Force, but I'm not positive. All those Justice League books in the 90s blurred for me. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> but I remember Except the story for Europe. Europe. Europe has stood on its own. Uh, no, Justice League International. That was the good one. Oh, Justice League Europe got that was the one Bart Sears drew. No offense yeah. to Bart Sears, but that one just got really dark, yeah. and it wasn't the wahaha that made me love Justice right. League International in International the first place. Was, yeah. International was the was the really fun one, but anyway, that I had called that character the Justice League that had been forgotten, been lost in time. Victory. I was corrected that the character's name was actually Triumph. And I'm sure that in my head I went, no, not Triumph. That's the insult comic dog. And then realized <laughs> that character was probably was created before Triumph was a thing. Uh, the interesting thing is, I suspect it is possible. Chris Buckley suggested that it was actually Mark Wade wrote that too, and I don't remember, so I can't prove that. So hey, this is an invitation to anybody who is an expert in either the Justice League or Mark Wade. To write in and tell me, did Mark Wade create Triumph 2? Because then that's strangely funny to me that he did no surrender and then reached back in time to lampoon his own character yes. that that disappeared. So there we go. We do have a special guest interview tonight. Uh, so I just uh, wanted to bring that up. Uh, I want it to be a surprise and it'll be a preview of our comics news. So here's our surprise guest interview. We're sitting in a Red Robin at the Topanga Canyon Mall. I'm here with Nate Costa. Nate, how are things? Things are great, Derek. Uh, recently had a boy child in March. And about to be returning to work next week. So, things are really looking up. All right. Uh, if we were to say, you know, what's what, what might be in your bag this week, so we could at least get an old Nate Costa recommendation. I can tell you exactly what's in my bag because I you have a pool list on your put phone. it in my phone this morning, hoping to get to the shop on the way home from this interview. Uh, let me just pick three here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, my old standby Savage Dragon two thirty three is out this week. It's been a long time since Savage Dragon's gotten a shout out. It should, podcast, it should so get a monthly shout-out on the podcast, yeah, Eric. We need, we need you to give a monthly <laughs> shout-out on the podcast. It's taken quite the adult turn as I've of late. i the cover. Yes. Yes, the cover of this month is definitely uh, 
definitely more risque than usual. And the interiors of the book are more risque than ever, at least for the past few months. I assume this month will be no different. Uh, next on the list, another old standby, Saga 51. Oh, yes, we, just, we did shout out to Saga 50 last month. So Saga does not disappoint. And now I have to choose a uh, third book. So should I choose Hit Girl 3 or Big Trouble in Little China Old Man Jack 8? Uh, let's go with Hit Girl 3. Uh, so you're you're back in the uh, Miniverse there. And uh, I have not picked, we have not even talked about Hit Girl as, a, as an ongoing series or a miniseries. I don't know if it's a mini or ongoing, but Kick-Ass and Hit Girl are running simultaneously right now. Kick-Ass's 3 just came out, I believe, and Hit Girl 3 is coming out today. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't read either book yet. I haven't started either one yet. I'm way behind on my comics. Well, <laughs> I have two have children. Now, two children. Uh, <laughs> one who insists on being on your chest while uh, that could be prime comic book reading time. Exactly. Said you have a baby. Uh, so uh, you, then, uh, would be my guess that... Uh, uh, as excited as you may be for Avengers Infinity War, you won't be seeing that until 2022? Uh, I hope to sneak out and see it. I don't know when. Hopefully within the first week. We'll see what happens. My wife has expressed interest in seeing it. We don't have a babysitter. Uh, we'll see what we can do. Well, <laughs> a call out to the listeners. Would someone be no? <laughs> Well, but it's good. it's been nice to have lunch with you today, Nate, and do uh, any message for the uh, your fans at Fanboy Planet. Uh, all I can say, guys and girls, use your powers for good. Thank you, Nate. A special thank you to our good friend and occasional podcast announcer, Nate Costa. One for having lunch with me today, but also uh, being willing to return to the podcast in that form. Uh, I'm hoping that we will find ways again in the future to bring him in on a more regular basis. We just have not yet made that schedule work. So He's thank a busy you, guy. He is a busy guy, and his children are adorable. Yes. So that's, that's what I have to say about that. So our actual top story tonight, before we get to the comics and the movies and the TV, is actually movies, which is that this is a big week, and we would be remiss not to acknowledge that this is the week of Avengers Infinity Four, which is uh, <laughs> Avengers Infinity Four, <laughs> Avengers Infinity War, which is the beginning of the end of Phase Three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We have two films left. Uh, we have three films after three, this yeah. in in the Phase Three, which is Ant Man and the Wasp in right. July, then nothing again until March. And that is Captain Marvel. And then two months later, just like that, that very clever and convenient Black Panther into Avengers Infinity War, it goes into the still untitled Unnamed. Avengers 4. Yeah. It's not going to be called that. And that's why I went to the end of, of Infinity 4 because I was thinking of that. Not unless Deadpool has his way. But the well, you know, there's an interesting. We'll, t- we'll, we'll talk about this. So, so on Sunday, there was a big press conference for for Avengers Infinity War and really talking about the how this is also celebrating the 10th anniversary of the Marvel Cinematic yes. Universe. 
and many things happen happened there, including what I love is that no one, no cast member would actually talk about anything that was happening in Avengers Infinity War. Right. Because they didn't want to give any spoilers away. And I think they might have bound and gagged uh, Tom Holland. At, <laughs> you know, who, as I said, uh, apparently it has come out this week that at no point did any cast member actually have a complete script. So many of them really don't know. Wow. Uh, well, they know, they know now because the premiere was last night. Right. Uh, but uh, there was a big thing. Kevin Feige did say, even if, because, you know, things could happen to, to send it awry, even if Disney absorbs Fox and they get X-Men and the Fantastic Four, they don't have any immediate plan. And this makes sense. They don't have immediate plans to bring those characters in. Though Kevin Feige would love to because, as he said, he got a start working with the Marvel Universe working on X-Men with Avi Arad being right with him. So it would be full circle. Of course he loves the characters, but they've got so many things planned in the next few years that it would be wrong to set them aside just because, Ooh, suddenly there's, and even if, even if it goes through in the next two years, any plans they can make are still two or three years beyond that. So, you know, we're not going to see the introduction of these characters, unless he's lying, which is the first, not the first time that that has happened, you know, that, that something has been negotiated to do cameos in, in upcoming films. But I, I, I'll just take his word for it. Why not? Let's take his word for it now and say that it's many years before we're going to see those characters in the mainstream Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, that's fine. The big bombshell, or at least the thing that got t- Twitter all, and fandom all a Twitter was, or is it all a tweeted? I don't know. Uh, twisted. Twitted? How about that? Got everybody all a Sure, sure. Twitted-pated. Uh, Twitter-pated, <laughs> yeah. that's good. Twitter-pated, they were Twitter-pated, was that at Hall H, at Comic-Con this summer, the Marvel Cinematic Universe will not give a presentation. Right. Yeah. And, of course, I got everybody upset because it's like, what? There's nothing. But this makes like, perfect sense You're to me. free. You don't have to go to Hall H anymore. <laughs> well, somebody else will feel it. Sure. Please, Comic-Con abhors a vacuum. The there will Gilmore be Girls reunion to... <laughs> will be there. <laughs> That's already happened. They did that. Yeah. Uh, well. But but what I think we're entering into is a new – well, yes. I mean, that Ant-Man and the Wasp will have opened before Comic-Con. Sure. I think two weeks before. And – then you don't have anything again till early March. So it's too soon. But I think we're entering, honestly, a new age of secrecy with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I love it. I applaud it that um, they even showed a PSA before the premiere last night, uh, before all the screenings, like for press and so forth, which I did not attend. But, uh, you know... Thanos requires your silence. And <laughs> so basically Thanos threatened all the press. <laughs> and uh, the only and they said people could start reviewing, I guess, yesterday afternoon. Uh, so the premiere was Monday night. So people could start reviewing uh, Tuesday afternoon. The embargo lifted. But they still said, please, no spoilers, because we want everybody to enjoy it this weekend and not be, sp- be ruined Apparently, I believe it was Forbes magazine, of all places, 
enumerated all the spoilers, and now everybody's in fandom is mad at, at Forbes. But I love this secrecy because, again, it's a surprise. I'm going to go, other than, we, you know, we've seen commercials. We know there's no surprise here that, oh, it's a confrontation between Thanos and the Avengers, and everybody's involved. But what's really going to happen, we don't know. Right. And, I, and I love that. And if they can keep, so I did write a piece on this on Fanboy Planet, and what I would like to have happen is, you know, they've said, like, the cast of Avengers has no idea what the title of Avengers 4 is. They don't know. I would love to have no idea what the title is, because they don't need the publicity, or this is a weird anti-publicity. Until you're sitting in a seat in the theater? No. You watch Captain Marvel. Oh. And at the end, it says Captain Marvel will return, will return in Avengers, whatever yeah. Avengers 4 is, which is just two months later. And at this point, really, anybody who sees Avengers Infinity War, which, by the way, has broken the advanced ticket sales record set by Black Panther, <laughs> yeah. is, do they need anything other than, look, we're going to wrap it all up? You know, I think... I think- that just that pegs it right there that Black Panther has done it and this has done it, and they can they can start to accept the idea that these are going to be blockbusters, and they can have the confidence and act like it instead of acting like oh my god, you know not everybody is is uh, aware of our film yet maybe nobody will show up we'll be there in the echoing empty hall you know it's like right. no that's not going to happen dudes <laughs> Marvel you owe us nothing yeah but a great film and. That's all I want to see. I've got my tickets for tomorrow night, and I am excited that I don't know anything and that I'm going to sit down and just be completely surprised. Just like I've said this before, when I was 11 years old and Star Wars was going to open, and I didn't even get to see Star Wars until the second weekend, I was spoiled. If there were spoilers, it was because I had the first three issues of the Marvel comic. But for months... I had seen that trailer. I had no idea what anything meant. You, you know, I mean, because it was the boy, a girl, and a galaxy. Yeah. And, you know, who, or was it a boy, a girl, and a universe, and aliens from a thousand worlds. And I didn't know what the, what the Tusken Raiders were. Mm-hmm. And, of course, now I don't even call them by that pejorative sand people. They are Tusken Raiders, and they are proud. You know, <laughs> it's, that, that it's, it's like, it was so exciting to have no idea and to just what that was going to happen in the second half of that film. Like I said, you know, I, I knew things from the comic. Right. right. But, uh, you know, and that's how I feel going into Avengers. And that's how, I, of course, I've read so many Marvel comics. I And in the article, I speculate what Avengers 4 is because of it going after Captain Marvel. And I don't, I won't spoil it here. Read the article if you wish to know. So the very end, what I think, what I think Avengers 4 is. I'm not the only person to have speculated this. But, the fact that I know it's purely spitballing, it's purely speculation. Yeah. And then what's next? Okay, we know there's going to be a Black Panther 2, which I think is going to be a world of Wakanda, which Peggy said they're waiting for Ryan Coogler to come back to them and say he's got an opening in his schedule and an idea, which I think is fantastic. I suspect it'll be a world of Wakanda because, oh my gosh, he's created so many things. You know, he's opened up that world so much. We yeah. know that there will probably be an Ant-Man and the Wasp again, you know, like an Into the Microverse. There's a place to go. We know there's a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. You know, yes, I'm sorry. I cut you off. No, it, it's, it's when we're, when we're recording across cities, it, it happens, you know, 
we're, we've got a mm-hmm. little bit of a lag. Um, you know, when we're recording across table, I, it happens too. Yeah, too as well. Um, I'm trying to give you an out, dude. Uh, so I don't need your out. The the value of not knowing, um, the entertainment and enjoyment value of not knowing what a film's about at all is totally under underrated. We get it as children when our parents introduce us to movies that aren't currently being pushed all the time and we haven't heard about them before. I haven't experienced experience it many times in my adult life. I was the last time was around like 2006 when um the Queen came out. You remember the uh yeah, uh, Helen Mirren? From, right, the one that it's from the same guy that that uh, wrote The Crown. And I had not I had not a friend said let's just go see it. And I hadn't I hadn't it had not been on my radar at all. I I think it was it was only playing in art houses. Nothing. So, and big spoiler alert, a big turn in that movie is when Princess Diana dies. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting, I wasn't thinking about the history of it. I wasn't expecting it. And when it happened, it had the impact on it that it should have had. Because I wasn't saying, oh, this is, we're coming up to the point where Dan is, they're going to get the phone call, you know. So it's just, when you have, it's, when you read a book, for example, and you haven't, you can avoid reading the uh, reviews and the liner notes. It's really hard to avoid commercials on TV, especially if you're watching fanish stuff because they know who to advertise to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to spoil books. It's it's not hard to spoil movies, and most uh, most previews spoil significant parts of movies and some of the best parts because they're showing you some of the best parts so that you will go see it. Um, right. But I truly, truly that, that, um, I remember that movie vividly much more than if I had gone in knowing anything about it. Well, I felt like that, you know, we mentioned last week when talking to Paul Scanlon, one of the things that, you know, this sort to some extent happened to me seeing Colossal. Uh huh. And I like this kind of marketing, you know, they marketed one way and that wasn't what the movie was. True. And, uh, which is a risk because that can piss people off. Well, you know, it was a small enough movie that honestly, people yeah. were going to see Colossal. We're going to see Colossal anyway. That yeah. was never going to play at. There's no equivalent now of the Century Twenty Two, you know, it was, or a Century Twenty One. <laughs> uh, you know, it was never going to be that massive thing. It was always going to be an art house film, and so I think they can afford to do that. And I wish that. Well, I hope that that's what Marvel gets it that they that they own enough of this. You know, to some extent, really. Uh, Star Wars episode episode nine is in the same the same boat. Yeah, you know, yeah. Solo no, needed it. Solo needed it because people yeah. needed to need to be sold on that. Right. But they didn't, and Rogue One needed because that was a new concept of like this is not with the Skywalkers. Mm-hmm. And episode nine is, but it's by this point, it's Star Wars. <laughs> they, so, should have, they should just have. They're, 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 you know what? No, I'm going to freely say they can shoot me sitting in my (laughs) office. No, Star Wars. I'm just saying they should show the trailer and it should just be the best parts of the two previous films Mm -hmm. and saying, you've gone this far. You you might as well take it to the days. Like that's what they did when they said, um, (laughs) that's how they marketed. They were going to show the trailer for empire strikes back. Right in front of Star of of what became a New Hope, and you'd have this commercial that would say, "Show all the best parts of a New Hope." We know you know this, but now yeah. you get to see a preview of <laughs> the next movie. And damn, I went back to Century Twenty Two oh, yeah. 
and watched it for the 20th time so that I could see that trailer. I even paid money to see it so I could see the addition of the subtitle, A New Hope, that wasn't there before. Oh, my gosh, you're right. so poor. So Marvel <laughs> can do the same thing, and that's astounding. But let's look to the future. What he also, they also said, which I find interesting, is what they're developing beyond what I listed is he confirmed they're looking at the Eternals. Oh. To to be a new film, interesting. And, and he doesn't know where it fits because I I can see this going either way. Going to Marvel Television, though. If Feige said it, I don't think he wants to give it to Marvel Television. He mentioned Moon Knight. Like I could see that being a tremendous sweeping epic set in Egypt. Moon Knight. Yeah, but I could also see the origin be, part. Yeah, yeah. Be, be a Netflix show. Yeah, it could go either way, and he he was name checked in the. Let us for a second remember that uh, there was a Blade TV series, uh, <laughs> and Mark Spector was called out on that show. Um, but you know, and saying that, you know, Marvel hasn't done a horror film. Somebody asked him about that, like with New Mutants being sort of horror based, you know, based on the Demon Bear storyline from Chris Claremont and Bill Sienkiewicz. That could they do? Could Marvel foresee something? horror based well they've got Ghost Rider they could bring Blade back there was talk about that you could you could bring Blade back and do a straightforward horror film set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe you could do Spirits of Vengeance I am yeah. curious like how would I guess that's why they called him he's not Son of Satan anymore he's Hellstorm right Damon Damon Hellstrom he's still the same character with the same right right you know. same all the same stuff he's actually but, a little bit more of a bastard than he was before I read. I've caught up on a couple of his appearances that way too. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's with DC proving on television. Man, Constantine is like the unkillable character. Uh, oh yeah, you know, that that it's time for Hellstorm. You can totally bring him in and and take that take that step. You know, um, for all his flaws on Legends of Tomorrow, the goofy fun that that series is. When they called out Astra and everything that had gone gone wrong for him as a young man i had to stop and explain it to my son and went yeah this is a really dark thing oh it's fun i only but, caught up on that one to where he he's on the ship when they're coming back and yeah well every it, it, just say that well and, he, he comes back and he will be a regular next year but but there's yeah. the, but every incarnation of him you know on his series and then here on legends of tomorrow and then on the animated thing they did for cw seed that betrayal is so central to his oh, character. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, that's, that's you know, when you call it out and you go, okay, audiences are accepting that it's on a CW TV show. You can make Damon Hellstrom in a film, and you can go really, really dark. You put Scott Derrickson, who directed Doctor Strange, you introduce that, you make the next Doctor Strange film, though they haven't said they're going to do that. But if they did and you introduced Hellstrom that way, that'd be cool. You could go to hell. <laughs> and Scott Derrickson, I mean, you know, Scott Derrickson would be the great, you mean the movie could the feature movie hell? Could, the movie could feature hell. <laughs> you won't yeah. go to hell for seeing the movie. Oh uh, no, no, you won't. And and I think Scott Derrickson, who has done some great horror films, and I thought did a great job with Doctor Strange, could do some amazing work with that. So, yeah. I like the idea of the Eternals, and and uh, and again, it's another pure Kirby. Uh, yeah, creation. they would focus. They the rumor is they'd be focusing on Cersei. And I like that too. And I, I, cool. I want to call out one thing because you know I, I was not there at the premiere, though I had several acquaintances that were. 
in Hollywood that Robert Downey Jr. got up and gave a 10th anniversary speech yeah. about the culmination. And I will, I've read a partial transcript. And, man, he – talk about the theme of this podcast, use your powers for good. That was the theme of his speech. Oh, yeah. We are the most popular franchise in cinema history. It was a huge risk. And he basically turned it into with great power comes great responsibility is we have an obligation. We are not, there is, there are no stars. We are not competing with each other. We are competing for each other. We have, you know, we have no egos here. And he said, and there is responsibility. And he called them out. He says like Ant-Man and and not Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, Captain Marvel is the first Marvel film to have a a female director, but she's co-directing with a man. So he said, well, we got that one half right. We got to do better the next time. Cool. He's and a, he's you, tremendous. Do you follow him on Facebook? Yes. He does a lot of charity work and promotion for um, for various uh, institutions and initiatives, and he's just a really impressive guy. And he always does it with a terrific sense of humor. I mean, a bizarre. I, I can't. I can't call it enough. Look, this is a man who was so utterly talented and utterly broken yeah. in the nineties and that his recovery, when people talk about, Oh, he's just climbing on the franchise and it's like, you know what? Every bit of success that guy gets that he clearly values and he doesn't take for granted because he knows what it's like to be at rock bottom. Yeah. You know, by his own admission, like his father was letting him get high as a kid and giving him stuff. Yeah. Like he had a screwed up. Although, you know, his father's a very talented filmmaker, you know, I, I don't mean to judge, but, you know, by my standards, he kind of had a screwed up upbringing yeah. and yet was so amazingly talented. And I was so scared. And to think 10 years ago, I was so scared we were going to lose him because I knew how talented he was. And I can remember, I think it was, I think Juan Lopez messaged me when, uh, or <laughs> instant messaged me. I think this was still on a- AIM uh, <laughs> when he was cast as Iron Man. And he said, uh, this is pretty risky. And I said, no, Robert Downey Jr. is the most brilliant casting choice they could make for Tony Stark. Yeah. This is suddenly, if I didn't want to see it before, I absolutely want to see it now because he is such the right choice and was right then. And, you know, again, Marvel, I don't think has made uh, a mistake in casting. No, I think every character has been perfectly cast. So, I look forward to what it brings next. Let's talk about comics. Let's comics. Do. Let's comics. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been drinking? <laughs> Nothing. That's the so, problem. <laughs> oh, well, I've got a little tumbler with a little bit of uh, uh, vanilla scotch. Mm, just, to, uh, just to please Sal Pizarro and Mike Rabel. Vanilla. Who may be listening. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, this is sort of comics related because they adapt the works into comics. But I think, again... It's worth bringing up. George R. R. Martin confirmed that he has a new book coming out set in the universe of Westeros. Yes. But it is not. No, it's not. Winter is not coming in 2018. It is a prequel uh, dealing with the Targaryen house, uh, their history, and he confirmed the book. The novel is called Fire and Blood. It will have 75 illustrations. Here is the comic book tie-in. By Doug Wheatley, who is, I think, an undersung, an oh, undercelebrated great. artist. I can't wait to see him doing you know, like fantasy art because he doesn't typically do fantasy art, right? Um, he's done some, but his his style is so 
I think idiosyncratic. I don't think there's anybody that draws like Doug Wheatley. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to this, but it'll publish November 20th. It is a prequel to A Song of Ice and Fire. I think I, I, I mentioned that. Right. And so it's driving people crazy. But I think George R. Martin just going, <laughs> you know, at this point, he's playing games with us. I'm sure it's all done and it's in a vault somewhere. And it's just not until I die. Well, and- <laughs> um, you probably don't remember, but two years ago, I sat in the audience while he read part of it to us at uh, Worldcon in uh, Kansas City. No, I don't remember because I wasn't there. But man, no, I thought I, 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 I'm pretty sure I mentioned it on the on the podcast back then. I, but no, it was two years ago, and I yeah, that's what I'm, I'm saying. Gotcha. But, but it, it reads it reads more like uh, the Cimmerillion. Oh far, no! no but, don't tell that. but but it was it was wonderful listening to him read it. I mean, it was, I I think Cimmerillion is really stilted. Um, this was not. But it was it, the the narrative is more that of a historic style of narrative. So, okay, so at Worldcon 2018, he should have a panel and read a uh-huh. paragraph from the, whatever the sixth book is called. And uh, and, and you know, I but just it's, know it's, that. it's the history the, the it's the history of the Targaryens. Yes, as I said, yeah, and and there are lots more dragons in it because the Targaryens had a lot well, more. That, dragons. That, that's what it's all about. Yeah. I'm only in it for the dragons, yeah. and so uh, it will no doubt be adapted into comics because I think we we failed to pay attention that Dynamite Comics is adapting all of them. Yes, and uh, has been so, for a while. Yeah, yeah. I haven't so, kept up with that at all. Uh, are they? Do you know if what book they're in? I have no idea. Oh. I have no idea. I, I I don't. I'm not as familiar with. It'd be funny. Fish. It'd be funny if the if the comics and the and the uh, HBO series outpaced the actual publication. I think they're going to. And but I think this summer, I'm just going to call it out now. David Avalone, we need to sit down. You know, introduce us to people from dynamite at comic-con and we can have a conversation and find out about these uh, larger plans because I think they again get. I think they're an under. I don't want to say underappreciated because I think they do all right, but I, I don't think that they get the attention that they should just because of the sheer breadth of what they're doing mm. as, as a as a company. So there we go. Next Saturday, this is not time travel. Uh, a week and a half from when we're recording this, Free Comic Book Day is on May fifth, the so, day after Star Wars Day, the day after Star Wars Day, and if Avengers: Infinity War had opened. When it was originally scheduled to, that would have been a nice time with the, with with free comic book day. Although I thought about it, and went no, this is actually really good because then the stores will be attended. Because uh, if it was the first weekend of Infinity War, everybody would be in line to see Infinity it's War true. and not getting comics. Yeah. So I think this is great. I just wanted to call out. I, most of your stores probably have local art, have local artists coming. Oh my gosh, the comic bug down in Manhattan Beach in Culver City is just got a massive they're turning into a two day event. Wow. And like every every two hours a new creator changes shifts. But I wanna call out because one of our favorite shops, Earth Two, in Sherman Oaks, Brian K. Vaughn will be signing in the afternoon. And I don't know if it's the first time that he's done a signing for Free Comic Book Day, but that's of course the creative saga. Uh, two books on the Hugo award finalist list for best graphic presentation being both paper girls and saga but there's so much more to his work uh, why the last man i'm trying to think what there was something else that i realized oh my gosh i forgot he wrote that too and uh, uh, 
a graphic novel that I'm just going to call out that people really should check out because it shows the versatility of of the way he thinks is Pride of Baghdad. Have you ever read that graphic novel? No. Oh my gosh, you need to find Pride of Baghdad. Pride of Baghdad is set after the U.S. invasion of Iraq. And okay. the zoo animals that Saddam Hussein kept, he had a zoo, a personal zoo, were were let out of their cages or escaped their cages. So for a brief time in Baghdad, the zoo animals were running free, and Pride of Baghdad is about the lions. And uh. it's told from the lion's point of view. It reminded me a lot of We Three. The difference is it's not sci-fi. Yeah. This essentially is sort of a fantasy about what the lions were thinking. I'm looking at images right happened. now of it. It looks really super cool. I've got to find this. It is. A, and actually, I think it was a, one of my, when I was teaching, a student loaned it to me because she, she just walked into my office and said, Mr. McCaw, have you read this? Because you have to read this if you haven't. And I said, oh, sure. So I think she listened. So I, I, I will say, uh, Lorenza Shape, thank you. Because I recall very clearly that you are the one who loaned that book to me. And that was really the first time I'd, I'd taken notice of Brian Vaughn as a writer. And, and to be clear, it's not science fiction, but the animals, no, that's what do, I said. It's not the animals do talk to each other. It is fantasy because they, they are speaking, but it's But not, it follows the historic beats of what actually right. happened. Understood. And so oh, what they know. So yeah. it's it, it, it was an amazing, amazing graphic novel. So uh, I do want to – we've talked about – we just had Silicon Valley Comic Con in, in our hometown, and – there is uh, there was a, a con in Baltimore that was set up, and they funded through Kickstarter. At the beginning of the week, it was called Universal Fan Con. They delayed. It was supposed to be next weekend. They they announced that they were delaying the convention because they were out of money. They couldn't actually open it. Oh. And they've been refunding. So something has been spurious. And I just want to say, you know, that I, I feel, I think I'd mentioned that, you know, after we had Silicon Valley Comic Con, I got an, I got an announcement that there's another convention coming to Sacramento, I think in August, and we have San Francisco Comic Con in June, and of course, you know, we go to the actual Comic Con. Isn't that in Oakland? National, uh, yes, San Francisco Comic Con is in Oakland. I, I forget that, because I haven't been to it at all. Yeah. But I just, I think we're, we're in another um, surge of People thinking, hey, cons are a good way to make money. But here's what it says. Don't make your con a con. And that's how I feel is, is what's happening. When a convention, I know, bad pun, but, you know, that it is. Fans want to go and they want to form community and they they want to get together with people that they, they think they're, right, they're right. not to be taken advantage of. And I feel like everything I've read on Universal Fan Con is a case of, that's what happened here. They were taken advantage of, and and they are apparently they're making efforts to refund money, people's admissions, uh, you know, say sales in advance. But well, it doesn't know. sell if they're returning money without being sued or anything. That doesn't lend no, itself so, to being a bad con. It's just bad planning. Bad planning. But I, I want to say, you know, I mean, you and oh, and yeah. your wife are working. For, with Worldcon, World and Con. you've certainly been on the board of uh, uh, the planning commission on other smaller cons. Yep. It's hard work. It's not something you can just say, you can't be Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. No, you know, my city has a convention center. <laughs> Let's uh, put on a play. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't do it. Yeah. And it takes more. It's like, you know, I, 
I bumped into to, to Nathan Fillion at a at a bar one night. He'll be a guest. You know, it, it doesn't happen. Oh, so been, you know, we've been working for two years on a single convention that doesn't come that doesn't come out until August. So, and I want to say there's another long, that reminds me there's another one at the Santa Clara Convention Center in August. Yeah, a toy fair. With Gil Gerard as their headlining celebrity. Now, oh, as excited cool. as I am that Gil Gerard will be there, it was just like, really? Did you not pay attention that a week afterwards is Worldcon? And it's two weeks, you know, and, and there is at the Santa Clara Fairground, County Fairgrounds, there's a toy show that does essentially the same thing. You know, toy dealers. And right. okay, now they've expanded to panels and celebrity guests. Yeah. And it's just like... But they've expanded. I mean, they they had a they had many years of just being a like no, basically a swap meet. And I went to that. I enjoyed yeah. the swap meet. Those um, were fun. I haven't been to the to the bigger version yet, and it's just because it's always been on a weekend that I'm either out of town or I have my son. And I should because it's only like 15 minutes away from my house. But, yeah, you know, it's close. It, uh, I love going through those things, but I, my my son does not share my enthusiasm for just seeing. Right. Old toys that I can't. It is buy. it is something you can go to as a museum, and the dealers yeah. love that. <laughs> no, I know. I, I was know. trying to buy something, but it's but yeah. you know, as I, I've mentioned before, Kid Macaw has is now you know Teen Macaw, and he's uh, he's not really interested in toys, uh-huh. and, and so I, he appreciates them. You, you know, I like sure. he said, Dad, if you must buy that that Lego Tron light cycle set, then you know. You have my blessing. But uh, do it for yourself. Do it, do it for yourself. You on it. It, yeah, exactly. It's not It's not for me, Dad. Stop kidding us both. And <laughs> so, anyway, I, just, just be careful. So let's turn to what's in the bag on a positive note. What's in your bag this week? This is the feature where uh, in our interview with Nate Costa, he made his three recommendations. Okay. So I'm going to start uh, – I'm going to start with um, – Something that's topical because we we've already talked about how uh, the Avengers uh, is coming out on Friday. So today we got um, from the ongoing series, not miniseries, but an ongoing series Thanos. We have the number one issue number one Thanos annual, which um, this is really interesting because you know annuals in Marvel used to be a huge thing, you know, annuals used to be like, that's where they would, they would do things like expose who Peter's Parker's parents really were, or have the Reed Richards and Sue Storm's baby would be born. Yeah. No, the, I think, don't think the wedding, maybe it did. The wedding, the wedding was an annual. Was it an annual? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it's nice to see them do one that isn't like connected to an ongoing, series for example or part of a special event or whatever and just be a good story and in this case thanos annual um serves as a really unique introduction to the character um of thanos because there are one two three four five six short stories in this uh how much did it cost in this five dollar book, four ninety nine. Five dollars, four ninety nine. Okay, four ninety nine. and none of them really long. You know, I think the shortest one's like four pages. Uh, but there's there's some really interesting uh, stories in here. Like you get to learn why the most evil act that Thanos ever did was to help a little old lady across the street. And I tell you, it's evil. It's really super evil. And uh, we we the other thing that's cool about this 
is there is a an eerie, creepy, house of mystery um, style narrator who's introducing each one of these stories. And frankly, he at, at the beginning, he just looks like the ghost writer. But this is actually the introduction of a new character that I'm oh, not going to spoil. The, okay, the cosmic ghost. They've writer, spoiled it. One. They've spoiled it. Okay, they they put. I just haven't run the art. Okay. They spoiled it a couple weeks ago. So we get to see um, we get to see him in character uh, with a big uh, continued in cosmic ghost writer number one on sale July fourth. So I, and will comics actually be on sale July fourth? Yes. Okay. A lot so, of stores are open. Wow. Okay. Um, anyway, so uh, it's, it's, it is a mix of art style and storytelling style, including one that is kind of like Little Marvels uh, with Thanos uh, taking on a planet of squishy bunny type things. Mm. Um, but there's some dead serious stuff in here too. Highly recommend it. I, I like those kinds of books. And I think, you know, both Marvel and DC, you're right, have done that in the last year. Uh, or so of annuals that are just really good standalone stories. You know, we went through that in December with the DC books and I've, I loved every single annual that I picked up from DC and I'll feel the same way about Marvel. I do want to correct another thing is, you know, you bought the, the Thanos graphic novel by Jim Starlin and Alan Davis. And right. it was an article again last week about how much Jim Starlin, how angry he is with Marvel, but he did. I was wrong because I hadn't read the update. He decided to finish the graphic novel trilogy oh, good. out of respect for Alan Davis. He didn't want to leave Alan Davis hanging. So That's he great. He did finish it. He did. So you can look forward My to that. My faith is, resto- is, is, uh, All is right. confirmed. All right, good. Um, so first in my bag is actually, I just love that they titled it this way. So in the Marvel does some around these true believers, reprints of classic books. So for a dollar this week, and it's titled as such, you can get the first appearance of Carol Danvers. Yes. And the title of the book is Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers. And it is the second appearance of Captain Marvel. And you, it is one of those things where you realize that her first appearance, really, who could have predicted how important a character she Not at become? all. She's like, because she's not like even two a, pages. She's not even a character in that. She's a security officer that they refer to as just miss danvers yeah not even you know but it was the 60s it was roy thomas writing uh this is the second appearance of captain marvel and i think and, and it is actually the introduction of the walter lawson identity which is the the name that jude law will be using in the movie captain marvel that was once again confirming that it is marvell giving his giving powers to carol danvers that was the first captain marvel book i ever i ever bought and I bought it at the Seven Eleven at the corner of Kurtner and Lee Avenue in San Jose. And um, uh, let me go uh-huh. with that. What is that? It is Marvel Superheroes featuring Captain Marvel? Yeah, number thirteen. That's Carol Danvers' first appearance. His first appearance was uh, uh, issue twelve. Yeah, and uh, that was also a poster that uh, was in room, a blacklight poster that was in rooms, oh, yeah. <laughs> all, uh, dorm rooms all across America. Yeah, uh, that cover of Marvel Superheroes number twelve. And he kind of broke from, uh, he, uh, no, pardon me. I reject that, what I was just going to say, because, uh, you know, the the reason why it worked so well as a blacklight poster was they used so many of the greens and um, 
mm-hmm. and other fluorescing colors in in the uh, mostly in the regular Cree Cree armor, not in his. Although I think his started out that way. He's green and white. He's green yeah. and white in this originally. Yeah. Uh, the red and blue didn't come till much, until later. Much later, yeah. And uh, I do think it's interesting because everybody's criticized that the pictures we've seen of Carol Danvers in uniform is she's, she's in the green and white or a right. variation on it. And it's like, no, right. that's they're actually that's, paying attention to the comics, yep. which Kevin Feige has always said that's his goal. So it's fun to read this story and to – it almost serves like what do they call those You know, when they do the – the prequel books that tie in to the movies, um, you know, cause I'm just actually on Marvel cinema, uh, Marvel comics unlimited. I'm reading the black Panther prelude movie prelude. That's it. They call them preludes. Oh, the prelude. Uh, did you happen to look at the prelude for Ant-Man and the wasp? No, you recommended it and I haven't looked at it yet. I, I have to withdraw that recommendation because I, I recommended that just because I was excited about something that was Ant-Man and the wasp coming out so early. Um, I read it. It's two issues, and it's basically the first movie. With oh, little, that, little, there's nothing adva- advancing it past that into the next movie. Well, okay. Um, I really enjoyed actually the Black Panther one. So, yeah. but I mean, it's hit or miss. But you can use True Believers number one, Carol Danvers, only a dollar. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I reading it right? Yeah, it is a dollar. All yeah. ages because. Books then had to be. And if you want to get your kids excited about Captain Marvel coming, this is the book to pick up and at least get, okay, who's the guy that's going to give her the powers? That was a cool, cool early part of the series because Larson had to take a potion to be able Lawson. to continue. Lawson yeah. had to keep, keep taking a potion so he could breathe the Earth's atmosphere. Yes, that which, was funny. Which added to the tension in certain fight scenes when he couldn't take his medicine. Yes. So, anyway... Uh, so there, what's next in your bag? Next in my bag is we, we, at issue 700, we, we got the beginning of the death of the mighty Thor issue 706. We actually have the conclusion to the death of the mighty Thor. She actually, um, she actually died in 705, but this is, this is basically, um, recognizing that, Gods within the Marvel Universe don't die-die. They go someplace else. Um, and so this is a, dis- this is a discussion of, of that. And while it's, it, it is sad in some points and the art style jumps around a bit, there's, uh, there's, um, there are a fair number of uh, contributing factors to that, but it ends on such a sweet, wonderful note that, I mean, even, even if you haven't, I mean, you could enjoy this book even if you didn't go through all the Magog stuff and um, Lord knows all the stuff that we went through with um, with well, the cancer. Know, I, and I'm going to ask you a question. Is I started, you know, as I've talked about with the MCU app. Right. That it is hard to sort out, and remember, with so many restarts, so many reboots. I should mention too, there's a rumor right. that now DC is going to do a fresh start, which ticks me off if that's true. Unless it's really just new, <laughs> really, real, really rebirth. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't want that. But anyway, you know that that I think where I ended up is a Jason Aaron written series, but it's still really playing off of Straczynski's putting uh, Asgard above. 
Kansas. And so because there's so many different versions, I was just like hitting T, tell me Thor, and I think it went back too far. But I'm enjoying it, and I want to go – so where would you think if someone wants to – maybe this is better to say, hey, this is a homework assignment for you in the, in the next night, and we can put it on the page, is where would you start? Original Sin. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay. That's a miniseries called Original Sin. Yes. Right. Where would it, you start? Which Thor volume, which Thor would you think is integral to understand Jane Foster becoming the mighty Thor? Well, you don't, I mean. Because Original yeah. Sin was just her hand. You know, we get the right, reasons right. why. But, right. but I think that Original Sin introduces the reason for the, I mean, it introduces the change. Um and certainly the the stuff right after that, I, I would say that it's uh, it's it's a worthy starting place, or you could start right after it with with Mighty Thor. Uh, I don't remember, I don't know the number that it, that it, the Jane Which volume, yeah, where where, uh, where yeah. Thor, uh, Goddess of Thunder, showed up, but um, but it wasn't number one. I know that it restarted, and that's and that's why I asked. That's the that's the complication. Was it okay. of being a comics fan is that they yeah. relaunch with every one of these things. That's and there have been at least two volumes of Jane Foster as Thor. And they don't let you sort independent lines by date in that app. Well, you have to figure out where you which yeah, not by date, yeah. which would be great. It's say like, oh, it starts in 2015. Oh, beautiful. You yeah. know, it's like I realized I ended up running reading uh which I knew was going to happen. We've been joking about this at Elusive Comics. That it's like uh, I picked up, I started reading all new, all different Avengers, thinking I was continuing all new Avengers, and <laughs> it's like, oh, how many adjectives? How many all adjectives can there be? So, all, yeah. <laughs> um, finish up the the uh, this this is the last issue of the Mighty Thor as a book because um, it's going to on June thirteenth. It's going to re launch as thor number one yes. where the odinson odinson takes the mantle of thor again but before that there's going to be mighty thor at the gates of alhalla number one nice. which which is i think what you're really looking for in one book which is a tribute to jane's time as thor and yeah. and a look at things to come so uh mighty thor 706 all right cool my next one would be the terrifics oh good three. Oh, good. Because I, I, what I saw the the title, and don't don't tell them it elusive. I bought this, even though I'm pretty sure it's on my pool list in Santa Clara, uh, because I couldn't wait. But it also tied into some movie news from last week, and you you called out this. I did this enemy. That's why <laughs> so I said, "Oh, like, good." <laughs> yeah, the, the terrific face down the war wheel, which was a Blackhawk uh, right foe, and. And you know, I think the Challenge of the Unknown also fought the War Wheel. I think they might have. I don't know that. I honestly haven't read that much Well, Challengers. it makes sense given the New Age of Heroes tie-in and, and Challengers coming back. And Right. I know. So. It all makes sense. I just love it because I love this book because of the combination of characters. Again, Plastic Man, Metamorpho, the ancestor of the Phantom Girl that some of us knew from because she's Linia Wazo, not Tinya, but from Legion of Superheroes. So, from Bzgadul. Yeah. You know, isn't it, I mean, it's like saying last week with Mad Magazine, like knowing how to spell Potsrazibi from memory. 
And like there are legitimate words in the English language that I don't know how to spell correctly. <laughs> exactly, I was going to say. <laughs> but I, why but I never forget. Why didn't they ever show up on a spelling test in third grade? I know how to spell Mrs. Patilic. <laughs> I know how to spell Patrzebi. Um, you know, you name all kinds of of, of different, uh, you know, things, and I'm like, yeah, I know all these nonsense words, uh, but also Mr. Terrific. And so, um, the. I don't remember which defenders did this. They've they put in the plot complication that for whatever reason, in their journey back to the main Earth, they have become bound together. And I know there was a version of the defenders that had that problem, like Doctor Strange, Hulk, Namor, and Silver Surfer had to stay within a certain proximity of each other. And right. because of a curse. So now there's some kind of sci-fi, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly reason another, for the terrifics another... to have that problem. Another good reason why I'm so excited you chose this book because I didn't have to now, um, because they introduced that last last issue. Yeah, yeah. at the end of number two. I have and, not read number three yet. And so. also last week in Marvel Two and One, Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm are actually they're they're multiverse hopping looking for the mm-hmm. other Richard the the Richards. Um. They're in an alternate universe where things have gone pretty bad. I won't go into exactly, but they're really bad. And there is a Reed Richards there in the Sioux Storm, but their Johnny and Ben have disappeared. I don't, I can't remember exactly. They don't explain why. Um, but it is explained in that that Johnny and Ben have been losing uh, have been losing their mojo, as Ben puts it, over the over this series. Johnny's not fl- able to flame as hot or as long as he had been, and Ben's not as strong. And Reed explains that he had figured this alternate multiverse. Reed explains that because they all got their powers together, they had this kind of you know mm, this had this tie that kept them their powers going and vibrant. Which then, when I saw this the same concept in the Terrifics, I'm going, "Wow, that yeah, is." The one is the first, but I want to call this book out as a longtime fan of both Plastic Man and Metamorpho because this is the first version of Metamorpho since the '60s, uh, or I should know because there's a first issue special that does it, where uh, they're, they're definitely drawing in a modern style, um, right? is Jeff Bennett, Joe Bennett in this one, Jeff Lemire is the writer. Joe Bennett is the artist. Um, I think, I don't think he was the, I can't remember who Aaron, uh, I want to say Magruder was the artist in the first issue or the second and the second issue, but they draw a metamorpho who both acknowledges the style that metamorpho has been drawn in since justice league international or justice league Europe. Cause he was a member of that and they kind of evolved him. Right. But, that harkens back to co-creator Ramona Fraden's art in the first place. This is the first time in decades that I've seen Metamorpho look recognizably like the Metamorpho that I first encountered on both a Slurpee cup and in first issue special as a little kid. And, well, he, and it looks just, a lot more like he's made out of minerals and stuff. Instead well, of which is the, which is the modern segments. style, which yeah. is the modern style because you know, she was, uh, Ramona Fraden was working in a more simplistic thing, but I mean, facially, they're drawing him more like the way he originally appeared, and most people have tried to update his face. And I really just love that looking at this book, even though it's definitely modern storytelling, and Lemire, of course, is just, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right, 
anyone wants to pronounce, you know, correct me, who's met him, that that would be great. But I just admire, no pun intended, Lamont. Hi, this is Rick, and I'm sorry for the interruption. I'm currently editing the podcast, and I've just discovered that I made a tragic and yet at the same time kind of hilarious mistake while recording this part of the podcast. I had opened a web page to look at various faces of Metamorpho, and the way the sound was set up on my computer, it recorded stuff that I wasn't hearing, that apparently the web page automatically started playing well, I'll let you hear it. And unfortunately, it kind of drowns Derek out for the next minute or so. But it is kind of germane to the subject, so I hope you'll enjoy it. Sorry. That, you know, he's telling a story that had all the problems, but still has the modern sense. How does that even apply this is the story of the element man. I totally agree with you. In one exception, I think it is. They've overdone his nose a bit. That's why it makes him look. It makes him look a soldier of fortune. Yeah, I don't think Until fate took a hand in the game of First two issues look a little like that. You know, I agree. I look at the pages. But, you know, and this is the, this is said, was the risk on doing this new Age of Heroes based around artists who are very detailed, very good. But it looks like the majority was in deadlines. They're not gushing where I thought they were gushing. This rendition. Well, oh, you have it. Okay. Yeah, this rendition there, of Plastic yeah, Man is there, over the top yeah, the best yeah, I've seen. Possibly ever, but within memory. He is always doing very something. Short memory, my, my memory is strong as iron, holy as sin. No. Uh, there is a scene where they're walking back from a mission and he said, I could eat. And he has used part of his body to make a sandwich that's in his hands that he's starting to bite into. This is like, and his head is on the side. That's what they did in Dark Knight Metal 6. You know, I'm always torn. I'm okay with this. And the I'm always torn about Plastic Man because I read, read a lot of the original Jackal stuff. And so I'm kind of curious as to what people miss is Plastic Man is the sane one in an insane world, in Jack Cole's view. But that doesn't work wow. when you put him in the in the mainstream DC universe. It worked in when he was public, in police comics and in Plastic Man because there, he, he never crossed over with anybody. Other than his sidekick, Woozy Winks, who by very name is silly, you know, so he could be the same one. So they had to do something to to shift him. I like that they use him this way because he's certainly, to me, more fun than the elongated man. I love the elongated man as well, right. but he's a very different character. Very and different. yet, and yet, you know, it's also very clear that, you know, like on, on the Flash TV show, that Ralph Dibney they're drawing is, from is Eel O'Brien. He's so yeah. Eel O'Brien. Whereas we've seen some really, you know, this version, 
is the one the public is more most comfortable with. I'm sure that's what Gail Simone's going to play with, and that's the version that was in the animated Batman Blit, Brave and the Bold. That's the version that was in uh, uh, the DC Nation shorts that Cartoon Network ran for a right, while. There were yeah. six episodes, I think, of that with yeah. Tom Kinney voicing Plastic Man, who I, he voiced him in Brave and the Bold, too. Um, so, you know, it's a version I can live with, and it's a version I can love. It's just that's not the classic Plastic Man. So, and, and I'm not saying fight me, you know, but anybody, you know, who wants to counter that, 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 you know, I, I welcome the debate. I've just read a lot of Jack Cole's original work and, you know, that, and that's the plastic man I first loved, you know, well, and that's, that's all. So. One more thing about this is we get a little bit of a hint that Tom Strong is coming and I'm really, you call that, you call that a, a little bit of a hint? When he says, hi, I'm Tom Strong, I'm coming. It's only two panels. <laughs> uh, but that's also been spoiled, so that's no that's no spoiler. Yeah. You know, that, that, no, and, I'm, I'm, and, I'm, and, and if you read those last two pages, uh, you, Alan Moore has shortened your lifespan by three years. So <laughs> mystically, all mystically, what's yes, next on your back? Oh, man, you choose. You choose number one or number two? Well, I'm choosing number one. We talked about this before we recorded. No, we didn't. Oh, uh, yes, we did. I'm choosing number six. No, 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 no. Huh? The one I wrote a review of. Oh, no, I'm so, not. I, I, so, I, those oh, you're are, number one got, or number two I choice. have two books in front of me. One's, one's on the left. That's number one. Well, always no. go with number one. Always go with okay, number one. Okay, I'll go with number one. Um, you are number the, one. This is, uh, I'm not. I'm not, because it's not that special a book. Not as, not as, sorry. I, I, I could have lied to you and told you. That this was the one, but no, I'm going to go with the one, the other one. Get to the Hunt, point. Then. Hunt for Wolverine number one, which has a really nice, interesting, uh, you know, almost. Uh, oh, what's the? I can't I can't remember the name of the classic artist who did stuff like this, but it's the unraveling of the adamantian uh, cocoon. cocoon that he was trapped in with Wolverine scowling out from in from inside with impossibly long claws his claws are like they're easily two feet long which would never make it past the elbow when retract that would go way past the elbow when retracted well then he can um, stab by going back it's fine. yeah so unless they're super no, they're not going to be super flexible but anyway this is a this is a really interesting book now when wolverine died it took about a year of course um, not just not not just counting the the weakening of his healing factor, but all the all the books that led up to other people searching for him as he was dying. You know all the X the X Force and uh, you know uh, the wolf the uh, the Wolverine Force. Don't make this know. explanation a year long. Go. Yeah. No, so so to have this book, which does a really cool job of jumping around in time to tell the introduction to the concept that they're going for is really nice. Cause you start off with, um, the, the, uh, the first half of the book is just setting up the burial of Wolverine's body. And, and he is not just trapped in that adamantium. He's dead, dead, dead and buried. Um, and then we jump forward to today and then we jump forward and now, and we jump around. Um, and I, I have to tell you, I, I got so tired of the death of Wolverine storyline. And I felt like so much of it was a waste of time. And I almost didn't 
pick this book up out of out of just you know spite for the wasted time before i'm really glad i picked this up i'm actually looking forward to stories along the lines of what they're setting up here um i'm trusting they're not going to go too crazy in the crossovers although i know there's already like four books that are going to be covering this i believe they're on the inside front cover because i picked this up as well are they uh i I think no 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 no, no, no. i think i saw something else that I was looking at on the back like on the back uh, on the back cover. It's what yes, lost antimantium adventure claws of a killer and mystery in Madripoor. Um, so, you know, yeah, at least, yeah, I, I, at least I, I those picked, books are numbered separately. I picked yeah. this up because I just, in case you didn't, but I figured you would. And I picked it up as well because my son loves Wolverine. Uh-huh. And I don't think that, you know, I, I picked up that many books that actually had Wolverine in it. It, so this is a good place to kind of bring it back and say, look, this is what's happening with Wolverine. Go ahead, read it and enjoy. So glad you did. Next in my bag uh, is a book that I, I don't want to call it a surprising treat. I knew I was going to like it, but I really like the, t- the tack they took, which is, and I did write a review yesterday because Titan Comics did send me a preview PDF but I bought a hard copy because I, I, I just wanted to have that. I'm not sure I'm going to pass this around to my son, but uh, and I, and, but you know what I'm also going to say? I'm not sure you need to watch the show. So the surprise is here, it, the book is The Prisoner from Titan Comics, continuation of the classic ITV series created, co-created by Patrick McGowan. So this is The Prisoner number one. There has been, there have been two attempts to continue it in comics. One never got published until Titans got the rights. Was done by Jack Kirby, and they're uh, still isn't published. Been published? No, that's coming this. I ran a preview I think later this year. It's later. I think they're going to release it in time for Comic Con, so you can get like a, an exclusive there at Comic Con of it. And there's not that much material, really. There's certainly not that much completed material. I think he did 20 pages, and then the who you know whichever publisher that was, I think it was DC, but it fell apart. And it's supposed to be delivered by July 10th. Okay, so in time for Comic-Con, yeah. Yeah. So, I, but there was also, DC did a version uh, written by Dean Motter in uh, the, I want to say the early 90s, either late 80s or early 90s. I know I bought it at the Big Guys Comics, so that's when I was shopping there. And it was a direct continuation of the show, and it was just kind of, it was interesting, but I, my memory is more confusing for compu- confusion's sake. Or vague for for the sake of being vague, not because there really was a, a an idea behind it. And then AMC, of course, infamously remade it with Jim Caviezel and Ian McKellen. And I, I was just talking about this at Earth Two uh, because it was one of their picks of the week. And I said, like, I can't believe it was the store manager Heather had chosen it. And I said, you know, when you think about it, you cast Sir Ian McKellen as number two in a remake of The Prisoner. And it still sucked. How did that happen? And this book, Peter Milligan is the writer, does the right thing, which is he re-envisions, he updates it in a way that, sure, this was partially what the original series was about. It's not about money. Uh, the power now is information. And it, you know, it says there, information is power. It's not currency. It's not oil. It's not gold. It's... It's information, and that's what the original series had hinted at, and that was way out of his time as well. Yeah, but it's 
totally right. So this book begins as a standard, straightforward spy thriller, though the protagonist is on the mission of there's talk of the village. And then he has a hallucination that brings in someone who looks an awful lot like Patrick McGowan and someone who looks an awful lot like Leo McKern, who is the most, I guess, remembered of the actors who filled the role of number two in the village. And, of course, Patrick McGowan was number six. So uh, this just, it, the first half of the book is a straightforward spy, spy, spy thriller. And then by the time you're drawn in, then it becomes The Prisoner. And it's so good. The, you know, the original series happened. It was a long time ago. Patrick McGowan's number six may still be out there running around somewhere because they make a reference to somebody who escaped from the village. Only one person did. So I'll assume that's who it is. And this is, again, a book that made me go, all right, I've got the Blu-rays. It's time to uh, watch them again. And to go, this is it. This is, for someone who's never seen the show, this book is great. For someone who has seen the show, we really should buy a copy for Steven Nelson, who is probably the biggest Prisoner fan I know. And have, a good point. And, yeah. and have, have, have him tell us. As someone who really, you know, I does he still cosplay as, as number six? I, he occasionally does, yes. Yeah. He's still got the jacket. So he's into it. I know a couple of fa- people that are really hardcore fans. and Dude, when it was when it came back out on KTH and it was done twice a week. And, and I that's when I watched it. Yeah, I watched the first episode just to watch. And the second episode, I took handwritten notes. Oh. That I yeah. still have somewhere. Nothing. No, that doesn't surprise me. You still have all of uh, Next Generation on videotape, don't you? Also annotated. No, after I bought the, uh, I, I no, but for Next Generation, it was on twice a week, and I watched the first episode. The second episode, I'd watch, I'd record, and I'd pause through the commercials. That's right. That was the story. Okay. Yeah. So, because who among us could predict? That one day you would have these things that would cut out the tape and cut in the, out the commercials. In the size of two VCR tapes, I could have all of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I was I watching uh, Zombies. I, I, I watched this in the Disney DVD, and it's been so long since I've watched like a Disney Channel, like, a Disney Channel DVD where it was just weird to be – I won't necessarily give it so much credit to say I was caught up in the narrative, but just to be like there's a flow – and suddenly there's that commercial break where it gets right. dark. And I'm like, what? What? Exactly. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, Discovery, which is done on the uh, – uh, what's the CBS. network called? CBS, CBS All CBS Access. Access. Unless you're a global still, listener, it's on Netflix, but I'm not it, bitter. It still, it still has pauses for where they could eventually put commercials in. Oh, I think they're going to, though. Don't you think yeah. that in a year, CBS, so. regular CBS so. broadcast will show Discovery Season 1 while Season we'll 2 surprised. streams? Yeah. So, yeah, I hate to say it, even though we're affiliated with them, too. Uh, I don't know why I should subscribe. <laughs> I can wait. Yeah, even, even the talking show, the talking Discovery show with Matt Myra uh, that runs after it, it yeah. has pauses for commercials, too. See, there you go. So let's get to let's get to movies. We jumped to TV to television, but let's get to movies. And that is that this week, I've seen people criticize this move, and I don't know what the right thing is. But since you're, everybody's thinking Marvel, Sony figures, what a great time to drop the the Venom trailer where we first show Venom. So did you get a chance to watch it? I did. 
And what did you think? You know, the, the, the most ironic thing about this trailer is that I really get a much, much more of a, um, of uh, empathy for Eddie Brock than I ever had. Cause Eddie Brock as a character was kind of an, you know, he was like the, the adult version of flash Thompson to Peter Parker. He was, um, he was kind of, he would take, try and take advantage of Peter. He'd, he'd down talk him and all this. He was, he was not a, and I think he was in disc, he was in disgrace when he actually became well, Venom. Yeah, I'm trying to remember correctly. I get the feeling that Eddie Brock was sort of retconned into it. That, uh, as far as I'm, because pretty sure thing, he was the first Venom. No, he was, but I yeah. mean, he was retconned into Parker's continuity, like like the Eddie Brock being an a hole. That character didn't show up until Venom had showed up, but they implied that he'd been around for a mm. long time. Like he he turned bitter against. Spider-Man, because Spider-Man caught the real uh, killer of Gene DeWolf, the the Sin Eater. And, um, you know, he had broken the story where he had gotten an exclusive interview with the Sin Eater and it turned out to be just some crazy guy so, taking credit for it. So he was so like his, ashamed, but it didn't happen in regular continuity. His first appearance, Eddie Brock's first appearance, was in Web of Spider-Man number 18 in 1986, September. And as Venom... He only, he showed up in uh, April 1988, so two years okay. later. Okay, so maybe they did. All right, that's and that's he, his full appearance was in issue 300. So, what I remember about Venom's first appearance was simply that he canceled out the Spider Sense, and yeah. so he pushed Peter into the path of a subway train, but you didn't know what he was. You just something pushed him, and you know. And that was actually a great character introduction for a character that I don't really care for. So yeah. what I think about the trailer is it's interesting to see it basically separated from Spider-Man. No mention of Spider-Man in the trailer because, yeah. and yeah. this is, I, I, I doubt that anybody listening to Fanboy Planet is unaware of this, but this is a weird, almost parallel Marvel universe. Cause I've seen, but I've seen this online with people like, why is this, why are they releasing this while Infinity War, why isn't this part of, why isn't he in the, you know, Avengers, blah, 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 and and what is the controversy is, Sony owns the rights to all these spider characters, that's why at Christmas time we're going to get an Into the Spider-Verse movie with Miles Morales, animated, that is not, even though Marvel's name is on it, it's not Marvel Studios, so... They keep being coy that Tom Holland is going to appear as Peter Parker or Spider-Man in this movie, but I'm not sure that I even want that connection anymore. Well, we Give haven't me. seen we haven't seen Venom's chest, and I'm hoping it's just black and it doesn't have the right, white right, right, spider right. logo on it. Yeah. As far as a look, uh, you know, I thought, okay, it's a satisfying Venom. Um, it's a, it's going to be a scary movie. Uh, Tom Hardy is a big fan of the character and excited to be in this film. And it's like, yeah, it's an Eddie Brock that an Eddie Brock completely untied to Spider-Man continuity because the, the, the movie version of Spider-Man right now, it would make no sense for all the reasons that Eddie Brock. Oh yeah. You know, in the comics. So the wrong ages, just do it. And if he's a symbiote and it's just like, you know, there's a weird alien morality going on or a hunger that makes sense. 
just present that character that way and keep it completely separate. I, I don't have, want a Spider-Man crossover. I don't have they it. said anything about um, uh, Carnage? There are rumors because one, of the, say, one I, of the scenes in the trailer looked like it was setting up Carnage. There me. is a rumor that there is a an actor that I really like who has been cast. Okay, as Cletus Cassidy. But it is only a rumor because we've certainly not seen any proof. And I don't want to say it because we're wrong, you know. Right. I, right, I don't right. need Carnage. That's my other thing. No, I, you know, as much as I've been kind of meh on Venom in most of his incarnations, I actually liked I liked uh, when Brock became anti-Venom. That was kind of cool. But um, I, as much as I meh on on uh, Venom, I really don't like Carnage, and I really don't like it when they've given him his own book. No, I, I don't like Carnage. I I don't really like the Venom concept. I'll see this movie because I'm interested in Tom Hardy, and if he's interested in the material, there's probably something there. Um, and I'll be honest, I see all superhero movies. I, I accept that about myself. It's a weakness. <laughs> and But he's not my favorite character, and yet I know plenty of people that love him. Like I did have the talking Venom figure back in the 90s, is because I thought it was hilarious that, you know, which they got his voice down, you know, the Eddie. And, but what he didn't say was my favorite. I want to eat your brain. Oh, uh, I, I gave, and when it was Brian's books, I gave them a figure of a Venom that had the vo- talking. It was a backpack. Yeah, that's what I'm talking Yeah, I had that figure. And it did have the I want to eat your brain. Yes, it. yes. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. That's oh, what I had. You did, okay. It and did I, have that. I and I also did. had the one that uh, you press a button on his back and his tongue extended and licked. Nice, yes. Yeah. Uh, which I think I think one million moms complained about, the, and uh, understandably, yeah. not because he's a terrible character, but because they couldn't stand the tongue. Which, unfortunately, dare I say this, and you can bleep me if you think I shouldn't do this. Is did you see Elizabeth Banks' tweet about the Venom trailer? No. Okay, so she took the still, which is the publicity shot they're running of the final appearance of Venom with his tongue extended towards the bad guy. Right. And she tweeted it out. Elizabeth Banks, let's remind you, originated the role of Betty Brandt in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Right. So she gets connected to the Spider-Man universe. She, uh, you can put monkey sounds over this. She said, he looks like he's... <laughs> and once she said that, I'm like... Bring oh, out the monkeys! <laughs> I'm me. Oh, my heavens. Yeah. He does indeed look like that. So... Yeah. <laughs> It's just well, an unfortunate cropping. I, on, a, on a more uh, on a more civil tone, the one interesting thing about this is the CG for uh, for the Venom uh, effects is pretty good, except for you can't do a still shot of that Venom face without it looking like a hard plastic shell. But when it's animated, it actually looks pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we shall see. That's coming out in time for Halloween, and that's the right positioning for it. It's a scary superhero, if you want to call him a superhero. And a lot of people are all saying it looks an awful lot like Spawn. And they call him an anti-hero in the in the trailer. Yeah, and that he that he looks like the movie the movie version of Spawn from Todd yeah. McFarlane way back when. Like, yeah. yeah, but let's be honest, Spawn was kind of let's look a lot of those early image heroes. I'm going to give Eric Larson credit because at least yeah. Savage Dragon was one that didn't look like anything else. Spawn was an awful lot like Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man and Venom combined. So, you know, different origin, different powers, but definitely a similar concept as visually. So let's move on. Uh, 
I like that this is sort of a weird leak. We're going to go for two different solos. This week, in Van- huh. I, I believe it was Vanity Fair, Alden Ehrenreich, and I put this in quote, leaked that he is signed for three solo films. I think it's really funny. There's no way this article could have been published without Disney knowing that he said it. It's the first we've heard of it. But uh, it is a sign of either Disney being completely ignorant that no one is excited about Solo for Alden Ehrenreich. I might be saying something too sweeping. I'm sure there are people that are. I'm, I'm still not. I'm excited for like every other element of Solo. And I, as we said in previous weeks, like I'm excited for that exploration of that corner of the Star Wars universe, that idea of yeah. the cr- a criminal underworld. So I both welcome that let's not call it a, a trilogy. Let's call it a series of three films minimally set in that period off to the side. I just don't know that I want to see three of Alden Ehrenreich because how many times can you do an arc of Han Solo's redemption before he goes back to being the rogue of a new hope who is ultimately truly redeemed? You know, as I said, that's the problem with this, with this film too, the character we like, you know, I'm, the character. I have no more information about this than you probably less. But my take on this is this is not his redemption. This is his fall. That he's going in, going into this not um, the the uh, the the bad the rogue the out for himself, but that's where he's going to end up. Okay, but I'm not so sure I'm interested in seeing that either because I no. feel like that was uh, to some extent that's what we saw with Anakin Skywalker. Not yeah. nearly as horrible, you know. Uh, Solo will not will not end with the death of a bunch of little children. Hey, let's remember that, that was what happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the end of the sin. Thanks, George. Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, that's crazy. So uh, I just I just think it's funny that it's up to him. That's how they how they leak it. Like Disney could have could have censored that, but they let it let him say it, which to me only says more of he just you know he comes off himself as almost a Han Solo by being that guy. Oops, I wasn't supposed to say that. And Disney just kind of goes. <laughs> you know, over in the corner. So yeah, uh, I was trying to come up with the Star Wars whistle uh, while you leave. Where we, uh, uh, and always let your conscience be your guide. <laughs> okay, always let publicity say the leak. Okay, but to give Harrison Ford news, he's actually voicing his first animated film. I, he's I gonna, love this. He's going to be in of all things, the Secret Life of Pets too. Like, what animal do you think he is? A sloth. <laughs> just go think, the pets go by and go hey, what are you i'll tell you i th- i think he's gonna be like an old bedraggled hound dog which is well, have you seen secret life of pets no i haven't dana carvey does exactly that role okay doing his old man voice I'd and we see, liked it but i'd love to see him being a hamster <laughs> you know that would be great i think what's interesting i i, I didn't write this down but uh the Secret Life of Pets originally starred Louis C.K. And there's no way that anybody's going to release oh, yeah. a children's film right now, a sequel to a children's film with Louis C.K. voicing it. Yeah, it'll be a while. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so uh, it is possible. They did announce a cast member is, uh, well, of course, Tiffany Haddish, uh, the yeah. star of Girls' Night, um, who is tremendous. You know, she has a, I'll say, not necessarily my cup of tea as a comedian, but when she hosts a Saturday Night Live, I went, my gosh, she's got so much energy. I get why people love her. And so that's great that she that she's in there. But that uh, Patton Oswalt was announced as a cast member. And, you know, 
it's a different performance, but vocally, I think he could play the same character that Louis C.K. did, and people would accept that shift. And you know, Louis C.K. was was, was the what? lead was the lead dog. Oh, was the lead dog. Yeah, because I'd love to see Patton Oswalt as another hamster, knowing Harrison Ford. No, no, I, I, I because <laughs> I mean, the thing is, kids want to see that. Kids don't know what happened to Louis C.K. No, kids want to see that dog no, okay, maintained. So you've got to do yeah, yeah. something sure. there, sure. and uh, you should, you know. It, that first film works in places. I think that uh, you know the the problem with it is that, that it's best five minutes or its first five minutes, oh. which is really basically that that concept of what the jokes are, what the secret life is. Life is. They show that in the trailer, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically a little extended. Yeah, it's a little. It's extended in the first five minutes of that film, and it's the best sequence of it. And yeah. then the rest is you know a plot, which is okay. There are still characters that are funny in it, and there are moments that are funny in it. Uh, but it's, yeah, it, it's, yeah. So I uh, more, I I'm not excited movie. for the sequel, but I'm interested that Harrison Ford took the money to do it. So. I have one more movie thing. Yeah? And this ties into an article from last podcast uh, because, uh, let's see, when is this? On May 2nd in the Bay Area, uh, at least at the AMC Eastridge 15, um, there the screening of Bad Samaritan is, yeah. is uh, happening, and you can actually I, I picked up a screening pass for two for free at Hijinx Comics, um, which is listed as a partner. And I don't know if other stores are listed as partner, but they have their logo on this this pass for Bad Samaritan, which sounds like. You know, thinking back about what we're talking about this, this sounds like the best of um, Alfred Hitchcock Presents kind of uh, pacing. It could very well be. I, I'm yeah. still, I'm excited to talk about that movie, and, and Legion M has been inviting, like, you can have fan meetups. That's the other advantage of, well, advantage. the interesting thing about the Legion M structure is, you know, people are gathering on social media. I think in the interview I, I mentioned, you know, I'm terrible at keeping up on social media, which I suppose is somewhat ironic. But I... You know, that there are these fan meetups about the studio. It's an interesting model, as, again, we've said before. You know, we are in this time where how entertainment is delivered, how people are consuming it, is still in transformation. And yeah. I really love what, what Legion M is doing, and I love that sense. And so there are, I think, at least 30 cities where they're doing meetups. And I don't know if this screening you're re- referencing is one of them. Uh, that would be interesting. Uh, I I don't have a pass for it, so I'll see if when I get back into San Jose if, if I can find find one somewhere. Because I really talk, do want to see the film. We talk later. Oh, okay. What's it going to cost me? Good Lord. No, no, no. Yeah, the Fanboy Planet podcast. Rick Bretschneider's Fanboy Planet podcast with Derek Oh, please. Is that <laughs> Rod Torkelson's Armada? Uh, so, anyway. Uh, so let's move to TV, because this also ties into something we talked about last week. Which was how I said, like, you know, I just haven't feeling it and keeping up with Ash versus Evil Dead. Yeah. And so Stars announced right after we did the podcast that they canceled Ash versus Evil Dead. That we were the stick that broke the Ash's back. No. But uh, I think what's funny is the friends that I have been commiserating with online about it all agreed with me. Yeah, now, we haven't liked season three either, but we were hoping there would be a season four so it would get better. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not crazy. <laughs> it's just kind of, but 
there was hope because I guess Netflix has picked up the first two seasons and is showing it. And it's been doing really well for Netflix, so there was like a fan petition started. Can we get a season four on Netflix? But if you Bruce, can make money out of it. Netflix will figure it out. But Bruce Campbell announced, "No, I am retiring from the role officially." And people yeah. are surprised, but he'd been saying that for weeks. Like, if we don't get a renewal, I'm done, and that's okay. I had a great run with it, so he did make the official. Please, no, even if net if Netflix were interested. I have retired. It's the role that taught, that got me into acting in the first place. I've been with it for a long time. And even when I talked to him at Comic-Con a few years ago, before the series, right before the series started, he said, like, this is great. It's the right pace. But, you know, the reality is it's exhausting f- for anybody. What and, I understand what I understand is season four is going to go back to Young Ash. It's going to be played by Alden Ehrenreich. Um well, thanks for killing my heart. Um, <laughs> no, no it, interestingly, the plan actually for season four was to go po- post-apocalyptic and do what the promise of the original ending of Army of uh, was. I'd pay to see that. Yeah, yeah. No, I would. But you know what? I But people are like, can you continue? You could do the Ghost Beaters versus, versus Evil Dead. And Ash doesn't need to be in it. I, it would oh. be less of a show, I, I think. But uh, yeah. I say this season has felt like less of a show to me. And you know you haven't watched it, but they introduced his daughter, so his daughter could lead the Ghost Beaters and go into the post-apocalyptic whatever. You know you could do it if they wanted. It just we're done with Ash. And I think you know for an actor who I absolutely love, he has the right to say I'm I'm not going to do it, and nobody should take his place. You know that that's it. Let's be done. Yeah, I think, I think Ash worked better as a solo act than he did as a team act. And, you know, all the movies and even things like, uh, um, what was the Western one? Um, Briscoe County. Briscoe County, County Jr. Yeah. Uh, I think in, in that, even though there was a sporting cast, he was still, he didn't like team up with oh, yeah. a regular group. Well, no, I mean, I'll, I'll respect, respectfully disagree that I love the first two seasons of Ash vs. Evil Dead. Yeah, and in particular the first, and I thought he played off the, the team really well, especially when he's got Pablo hero worshiping him, right? And and being just like, oh my gosh, what an A! But when you got to season three, it just started and went. It, even by its own tenuous grip on lot storytelling logic, it it just wasn't there. It just was you know it wasn't strong. It just became gross for being gross. Yeah, and. Uh, as much as I've loved the over-the-top violence and gore of that series, it's always been in the service of the storytelling, and I really felt like it, it, like season three it was the other way around. But yeah. let us let us focus on Netflix because just to call out for those who have missed, you know, a couple of years ago Netflix signed a deal with CW, and I and I think it was kind of you know, we've forgotten this is that eight days after a show's season ends on CW, it goes to Netflix. So. This is my perfect opportunity. Rick forwarded an email to me today, which I also got, but I don't read my Netflix emails, I freely admit, uh, because they go to my other address. Not editor at fanboyplanet.com. Don't try to use that as, a, as an address. It won't work. Not editor. It does not go anywhere. But I had just said to my son last weekend, oh, hey, because we were catching up on Legends of Tomorrow, that, which, by the way, ends in such a deliriously over-the-top way. You're going to love it. But... Uh, and it is renewed for season four, but but season three ends so deliriously wonderful, cool, insane, and um, so 
there was a commercial for Black Lightning. And I said, oh, it's for season finale of Black Lightning. And I went, oh, that means that it's going to be on Netflix soon. Because I realized even that we were watching this, the finale of Legend of Tomorrow late. So it had already, and I was like, okay, has it been the eight days? You know, do I have a chance to go in and catch up? I've watched the first two episodes of Black Lightning. Now I can just start from number three, episode three, and be fine. And, and run through. And not have to worry about commercials. Exactly. It'll still go dark, right? And still have those commercial breaks. Yeah. <laughs> You'll still panic. But oh, yeah. I still will. I still will. But anyway, so excited about that. Uh, so Legends of Tomorrow and, and Black Lightning are on right now, so you can binge on those. And then we're getting close to the season, final- season finales of Arrow and Flash and Supergirl, so they're going to pop up. Uh, you know, Netflix is the place to be. Not only do you get all this, which uh, it just occurs to me, Riverdale, so I can finally watch season two of Riverdale. And, you know, as we've said, there's just too much. There's just too much. But You know, I just started watching. I, I said, you know, I'm going to go ahead and give this a try because I, you know, I hadn't been all that excited about it. I, I'm into the second episode of The Punisher, and I'm actually enjoying it. I watched the first two episodes of The Punisher. I thought it was good because I didn't quite like the reboot of, like, here's the real you know, we had such a good conspiracy in Daredevil that adding yeah. another level layer of conspiracy that was dumb, but I just love his portrayal of Frank Castle because it's the first one that's really made sense to me that has yeah. made me understand the Punisher and and why people can be drawn to his morality, his very weird sense of morality, but why the superheroes can kind of feel like, oh, there's, you know, there's a damaged person here, but there's good in a weird, 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 weird way. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just so much. I'm, I'm working through Jessica Jones and loving that, you know, so there we are. I, I wanted to call out before we wrap up tonight is one tech thing that I caught and it's not ready for consumption, but this is the next haptic step that step that I've been waiting for in VR. Disney has developed, and this is not a star Wars force, a VR force jacket, which means that it has basically little inflatable pouches that can react to gaming with a VR rig and inflate and create the pressure you would feel like from, say, a snowball fight, a getting punched. Suddenly a section would inflate like and put pressure on you. And the potential it, for Disney is could you have an Avengers experience where you could experience being the Hulk? Will it have the ability to do that? Can you feel when I'm doing this from uh, Ready Player One? I don't know yet. Because all I know is that they've developed it and they've they've released some pictures and video, yeah. but it's it's not ready. I'm sure it's also at this point super expensive. But that's it. You oh yeah, gotten it. You know. That, well, the pictures look pretty prototypey. It doesn't look like something they can mass produce. No, no, not yet. I, I don't. Think I don't. They're planning on mass producing. I think this is like going along with. Uh, is the vault that's doing the star Wars experience oh, there yeah, yeah. on Disney. Um, the void. That's what the company is. This that does. And they have a ghostbusters one at Madame Tussauds in New York. You know, th- that's where the money is. I, you know, as excited as I was about home technology and having the PlayStation VR is you gotta have a room big enough. You gotta have space. You have to, to have a room it. big enough without stuff in it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? I and mean, that's what I really, I really am getting at is certainly, we have to move the coffee table back if we're going to play something on the PlayStation VR. And as much as I enjoy it, and, and there was a, a free game on PlayStation Plus uh, last week that it's like a fantastic racing game that has a VR component. And it's like, <laughs> Luke and I played it without VR and went, we're going to throw up if we do this <laughs> VR. 
So, uh, but not, it, not that it, not that it matters, but uh, just as far as tech goes, this thing it does look like they're they're prototyping at least with the HTC. Uh, um, well, I think that's what the Void uses. I think it's an HTC Vive, Vive uh, okay. which which has also made strides. Both both Vive and Oculus have been making strides in being wireless. So that you can you can walk around freely. I mean, the void is you wear you wear uh, the hard drive on your back, uh, right? You carry a backpack and 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 uh, M- MCI M- MSI uh, computer manufacturer does uh, backpack uh, computers now. You can buy those off the shelf. Well, there we go. So that's fine. It's still you know you're not going to walk down the street wearing that and being in a virtual experience. It's not going to be safe. Good lord, man. But, <laughs> but you know, I think what Disney's thing is to make it an experience in a park or, or an, uh, you know, a oh, value yeah. added, yeah. a cost added experience, which, you know, I, to, to be fair, once you step into a Disney park, they've been really good about not having the ride that costs attraction that costs you more money. But they've also been playing a lot with AR. You know, two summers ago, there was the Haunted Mansion game that if you, you know, you could have on your phone and play. They they've been experienced. Right. They've been experimenting with interactive stuff that costs more. But I think more at like uh, is it Steamboat Springs in Florida, their version of Downtown Disney, and then Downtown Disney in in Anaheim. You know that's where those extra experiences are showing up. That's where the void is in both places. And I'm not sure what the price point is of that, but uh, I will call out my friend Chris Tong messaged me a couple of weeks ago and says said Have you been there? And I said No. I you know I the last time I went to Disneyland, it was a day too soon for that opening. He said, oh, you have missed out. <laughs> Just like, I felt teased. You know, so, I mean, there are amazing experiences happening. And the, the question is, you know, what's the price point that you're willing to pay for that? Yeah. But if it's something that you would never experience anyway else, and like I say, you know, experience getting in a fight without actually hurting yourself. I know that sounds a little fight clubby to say that, but it's it. But it, but there's a lot of potential. I've been describing it to people now as this change in entertainment is not happening uh, as fast as I thought it would, but it's not as far away as you think it is. And I don't mean you, but I, I mean people listening. You know, it's coming sooner than we think, but just not as fast as I thought it was going to. So, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll be doing a virtual podcast. We'll be just beamed into people's heads. I think uh, there's a, there's a finite set of problems that they have to solve before it becomes commercially viable. No, no, no. I just want you to, sure, but I just want you to be thinking about Virtual Fanboy Planet, where people ah, actually have okay. you know have us in their living room, and we don't have to. Well, you know, the first thing I'll do for Virtual Fanboy Planet is I'll be creating a uh, table of contents so people can find stuff. In oh my god! Okay, uh, yeah, and ah. <laughs> 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 uh. So they can get to the good parts. I don't know where those are. So, hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you, uh, once again, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, want to tell us where the good parts are, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll have another episode within a week, right, uh, of, of this. Who knows what the time traveling is. And then we will be taking a break. I am going to England, and I'm not going to be taking... Uh, my laptop with me or my ability to, I don't even know if I have the ability to call, but I don't want to test it. I'm too busy doing other things. There's no have room on the spreadsheet. Yes. Uh, so anyway, thank you all for listening. I'm Derek McCaw, editor in chief of fanboyplanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers for, for good. good.
thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatluke.com.